0: You know, it's so cliche at this point because we've got so many, like, people who have very large platforms say the same thing. But, you know, like, if, if everyone could just sit around a table and eat and talk, we would probably get over a lot of our differences.
1: There's certainly been a lot of anxiety surrounding the pandemic. One of the things people become preoccupied with is food. If Google search suggestions were any indication, people ask it often about the latest status of the pandemic as about how it affects food supply and whatnot. However, people's relationship to food has also changed. Many people became new home bakers. People become used to delivery apps, some even working for them. Some people miss going to cafes and restaurants, while others wonder if we still need these social occasions at all. Food videos are trending on YouTube. We are four graduate students currently in America who have had the virtual opportunity to sit down and chat about some of the things we see and think about in terms of the pandemic and food. Can food, something so mundane and so taken for granted, tell us something important about how people live and find meanings within all the chaos that is surrounding them? Has the pandemic only taken things away from us, or did it create new opportunities and ways of living as well? This is the conversation we brought to the table. I definitely drank more. (laughs) So I drank more. Um, It's not a confession for an alcoholic, but it's sort of becoming that. Uh, But uh, I think the the pandemic definitely changed social interactions of sorts. Um, I think before the pandemic, drinking was a social thing for me, more, more, more or less. But now it's more about how to fill out the time, right? Because I think the social isolation does that. And on one hand, I think there were a lot of anxiety going on around the pandemic but on, on the other hand I think as a person I think people live on sensations right they have, they have to have some sort of sensory experience going on every day and the, the, the isolation, the situation, the pandemic kind of deprives you of that and people actually crave the kind of experience the kind of sense the, the kind of stimulation I suppose that the alcohol is sort of replacing. So I drank
2: more in terms of both coffee and alcohol. For me i've really been just reflecting on yeah how food brings people together or you know why we turn to it maybe um during isolation and and for me um growing up like you know cooking and cuisine was always like an event for friends and family and it was like this very um yeah interactive thing that brought people together so to be isolated and not have those spaces and those events and whatnot is just yeah it makes me miss it and it makes me reinvigorated you know like I started messing around with some family recipes and stuff just wanting to kind of reconnect in that way through food
3: yeah well first I wanted to say that I gain a lot of weight during the pandemic and the reason why is because I eat a lot you know like it's not only I cook a lot because I like cooking and but also like I eat my feelings all the time because this is how isolation has hit me is this thing where um I don't drink coffee but I eat so I'm if I'm not snacking I am cooking something and I'm constantly like "Mm, I could make this you know and I I watch the food channel a lot you know and I'm constantly looking at recipes and stuff you know I mean, it's a meme, but I made bread, (laughs) you know, like I made bread and I tried like I had never done certain things, you know, and I tried them during the pandemic. And I guess I'm lucky to have a uh, captive audience, you know, because I have a a husband and a kid, but my, my kid was too small anyway for eating. But I I haven't cooked as much in my life as as now.
4: I would say my relationship to food, food just became more visible to me. Like I never thought about like what I ate to this extent, where my food came from, sitting down with people in relation to eating food. Like just everything became just so aware kind of what Sylvia was saying like I joined the baking craze you know I baked a whole bunch of things and it's like everyone's baking banana bread there's a labor strike right now at Kellogg's there's restaurants <laughs> that have like turned into these new age shops So I think like food for me just like became so apparent I never thought about any of this to this extent anyway and so I did think food in the pandemic just shed A lot of light on um, innovation, problems, and then just like personal relationships. What do you mean about innovation? We had to get a little more proactive about getting food to people, Mm -hmm. how to maintain like different restaurants from closing down. I think so many people got innovative just to like, not just pass the time, but like maintain some type of stability.
3: With stay-at-home orders imposed at the beginning of the pandemic and in-person dining shut down to varying degrees throughout the country, food delivery demand skyrocketed during 2020 and 2021. And as the pandemic has persisted, there continues to be more reliance on these services than it has ever been. I think that's that's the biggest, the biggest change. And also uh, something that is also a novelty is that I get a lot of my food delivered, and I get a lot of delivery of food through, you know, Grubhub or like DoorDash or whatever, um, because of the pandemic, right? Just to unfortunately having to avoid contact with uh, people or going to a grocery store. So I resorted to those things that before the pandemic I never did. One of the things, I guess I didn't think through this very much at the beginning of the pandemic was like, okay, I'm ordering food, you know, so it's not so bad. You know, I'm, I'm I'm kind of helping the restaurant. I'm also like helping, you know, the person who's bringing the food to me. So it's like a new way of doing things, you know, but we're still helping people and we're still all, you know, coming together at this moment. But I guess the thing that is more Apparent now is that the explosion of this gig economy um, has created more precarious work conditions for a lot of people. And many of the people lost their jobs because of the pandemic. They found ways to survive through these online platforms and whatever, but the job conditions are really poor, and um, it's something that it, that has become very very obvious at this point. Not only precarious working conditions became patently clear, but also the gender gap increased during the pandemic. The closure of schools and daycares combined with the unequal allocation of housework between genders put women in the difficult position of leaving the workforce in order to care for their families. One of the things I became very aware of is is how I can stay home, you can complain about your work, you know, about your job and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, you know, it's blue color. You can stay at home and like organize yourself. There's been people who did not have that luxury and not just because they were like physicians, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we're... It is very interesting how we brought up the, 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 the idea of the essential work, especially during the pandemic, because I think there was a, a really intense reconsideration of what essential really means in, in a lot of different aspects of our life, right? Because we were talking about, oh, people are resigning because they're rediscovering different priorities of their life when their new work just doesn't reflect that or something like that. So what is being what is actually essential is being uh, rethought in many different ways. And I think the, the idea of the essential workers also reflects that. We think food is essential to our life, right, because we need that to survive. We need the energy. But and at the same time, I think many different ways in which we consume food, as Alison has said, is also reflected why food is essential to us in ways that go beyond the nutritional value of that, right? And for me, I mean, I, I, there's a very, also a very interesting uh, story coming from Hong Kong as well. food has always had a place in politics. If sharing food with others is usually an act of charity or hospitality, sharing food in the protest sites becomes a subversive act of solidarity. While the food industry around the world often endorses certain kinds of social causes such as fair trade, small businesses in Hong Kong show us that the politics of food can go beyond purely performative statements and ethical business practices. During the protest in 2019, many pro-democracy restaurants provided free food and water, gave space for promotional materials, in some cases, even sheltering protesters being arrested. As the pandemic hit them, many of them are being specifically targeted by the law enforcement with pandemic-related restrictions, although it's also not unusual to hear that some business owners try to hire former protesters being prosecuted as a way to financially support them. When overt protest seems more and more difficult, people are still inventing new ways to resist and support each other. Isn't that resilience also something we see around the world during the pandemic as well?
2: And I think like a conversation up until this point, I mean, it's just so rich because there's so many facets about what food does, how people utilize food or view food.
1: For me, because I was observing all that from the distance of being in in the U.S., but what was happening was, so. Back in two thousand nineteen, there was this big protest where people were actually having all these really, really intense fights on the street. Where people were also like sharing food on the street, and all of a sudden, the pandemic happened, and then and then the whole thing was basically put under the ice bag. Right, everything was frozen all of a sudden. So it was a very odd situation for me. But then I also realized that people were actually like like things were turning online at the same time, and then. There was also this Facebook page where, I mean, Hong Kong people didn't really get into the the, the whole the whole baking trend back then because not a lot of people own oven,
2: own an oven in their home. That's a, a very different home design for us. This reminds you of where you come from, and um, yeah, I think it just kind of has that similar effect with me in thinking about lineage and um, tradition and things like this. I'm really moved by what Allison said about how it you know, kind of uh, reveals innovation or, or reveals problems. It makes me want to attempt to use food to resolve some of these differences as well. Food is often tied to family as a way to express kinship, affection, and tradition. Recipes can traverse generations, creating palimpsest of interaction, heritage, and experimentation. During lengthy moments of isolation, and pandemic-related quarantine, food became a way to connect across time and space and extend a sense of family to a larger community. Here are several individuals that have used food and drink as a way to show care, empower communities, and negotiate difference.
0: My name is Vivian Gornick, and I'm a cultural anthropologist. I spend a lot of my free time taking pictures of food, making food, (laughs) eating food. There was this kind of weird moment, I would say from like March, 2020, really for those first like six months where I was using food as like a creative outlet. It was something to do, but I knew that there were people who were really food insecure and like really struggling. So it was this weird, like, almost guilt that I was feeling that, you know, I was enjoying the pandemic making sourdough bread and yet there were people, you know, in the United States who were really struggling to put food on the table. So I think that part of the pandemic really brought that awareness to me. You know, it's, it's so cliche at this point because we've got so many like people's, who have very large platforms say the same thing, but, you know, like, if if everyone could just sit around a table and eat and talk, we would probably get over a lot of our differences. In anthropology, we often say that, like, the purpose of anthropology is to make the world safe for human difference. And so I think food combined with anthropology does have the power to do that.
4: First name Hannibal, last name Bracey. Located in Brooklyn, Canarsie, Brooklyn, whatever lovably known as the false... So what I do, I do the Black Bean NYC. Basically based on community. It's kinda like community activists, but then it's through coffee. Started my page during the pandemic and the plan is like, you know, go to every shop says like accept people like us, like women on, like minority on any, you know, that fuck with the culture. It's really important to me, especially everything I do on the page. Coffee, I'm using it as a vehicle to talk about other stuff. Yes, I want my own coffee brand. Yes, I want, um, you know, to create spaces that we feel comfortable in and safe. This is what my mission is, honestly. I'm trying to destroy uh, white supremacy in society and one coffee cup at a time.
2: These are expressions of what we imagine as comfort food the way that cooking connects us to others. It's heartwarming, wholesome, and sustains us in a way that calories alone never will. Emerging from a state of quarantine, is there any way that a restaurant could feel like a home?
4: The idea of these spaces is just like communal spaces. I think a lot of times we think that we're just like stopping in to like eat with our friends, or go to like this coffee shop, or get a pastry here. Um, Even if we're not talking to other people, like we're in community, and how essential that is. I I probably shouldn't even use the word essential at this point, but how important that is to all of us, like on like a emotional and mental level, particularly like after like being pushed into isolation, right? Even just the background noise of people as you're trying to work at a coffee shop becomes like something you didn't realize you needed until it's taken away.
2: Allison, I, I don't think you should shy away from the use of essential. I mean, I think that's that's one of the great things uh, that Wayne brought up is that we're we're having to negotiate what essential means, like new meanings of essential, and especially in relation to food.
4: Yeah, I would say. It's one of those things where people, you know, you see people pushing for workers' rights, but at the same time developing
2: ideas of community, not just food production, but in food consumption. It makes me want to embrace that warm, fuzzy feeling from like the British baking show and stuff like that, (laughs) where it's like, oh yeah, food is so comforting and so wonderful. And, um, you know, it just has this shiny appeal to it and warm and fuzzy component. And yet a lot of these kind of seems like grassroots movements or like attempts to create community is because of the state of the pandemic as revealing a lot of these inequities and um, sort of just societal friction
4: food in the pandemic emphasized a real and ever-growing societal issue the struggle for labor rights globally we continue to witness major labor strikes walkouts and people refusing to buy from large corporations until they agree to fair labor practices. Also, when it comes to the food industry, the concept of an essential worker finds itself in a gray area and is continuously redefined to meet the political and economic motives of whoever is commenting. When we think about how our food gets from farm to table, questions surrounding exploitation are now in the mix more than ever. Ooh, yeah, I'm going to need another glass of wine.
3: The person that works at the grocery store that make really low salaries and um, they still had to go, they still had to show up. And it's both because it was considered an essential kind of work and also because they have to, you know. And where I come from, which is South America, the amount of informal work Uh, that exists is staggering it's like huge and so there's a lot of people who got COVID because they just did not have the luxury of staying at home they had to go out and you know find uh, something to do you know to make ends meet at the end of the month so I think the pandemic has revealed these inequalities these type of inequalities in a in a really blatant
2: way do you all think that we have, like, a responsibility in terms of food consumption or these kinds of interactions that you're describing? I mean, thinking about the essential discussion, I, I remember these
3: closures of meat plants, meat processing plants uh, at the beginning of the pandemic and how, like, people were, like, losing it because, you know, they were like, no, these company, you know, they cannot close because we need the meat we need you know like it's like the chain is broken and now there's not gonna be sausages in the supermarket you know and and it's like ah, and people were having meltdowns and I thought I mean is this essential really and don't take me wrong I am I like eating meat I'm not vegan and I'm not vegetarian so it's not like I have a horse on that race you know but I was just like I mean, what are you saying? That people have less of a right to stay at home and protect themselves than we do? You know, is it really about the meat or what is it about?
1: We are saying that some things are essential, and I think this is actually a good move for us to reflect on what is important to our life. But at the same time, what is being pushed forward as important. To our societies, was also kind of being exploited in a way, which is what, what Sylvia has just mentioned, right? People are essential because they have to be exploited in a, in this certain ways. Otherwise, our society won't work in the ways we are used to. Yeah, I'm one
4: hundred percent. I call it team walkout. Like if this, you know, okay, there's no trips in the store, there's no this or there's no that. Oh, I can't go to this shop because it's closed. I don't care. I am team walkout. Um, If they are not treating you right, I will be okay as a consumer. I think a lot of us as consumers are getting like that to this point because like we're seeing it more so in real time, like add on social media where you can see like the treatment of people and like visuals. A lot of us are just, you know, kind of being okay with it.
2: I like that phrase, team walkout. <laughs> yeah, if if we have a responsibility in terms of food or consumption, or you know, do we extend that to our own diets? Like that brings in a conversation about health and uh, you know, environmental factors. I mean, it's all it's all so related and and entangled and um, complicated. I think that's why our conversation is so rich, um, and it's nice to talk with everyone because we all I think have different things to bring to the table. Uh, maybe literally
3: <laughs> I agree and I guess one question is you know to what degree do we think that individual actions uh, are going to make a change right and and I think that's a question that many times paralyzes people and say well I guess because you know if I don't you know eat or, or buy my coffee at Starbucks it's just you know they're not gonna declare bankruptcy tomorrow But there's a part of me who understands that many problems are systemic, obviously, and those are definitely not going to change because I don't buy Kellogg products, you know, for my son these days. But I don't think it hurts if you take an individual stand. I mean, one of the things that the pandemic has made me more aware of is like, where my solidarity stand, and like, what what are my political choices? Uh, what are the things I'm willing to, you know, stand for and say? Okay, I'm not gonna willingly participate in this uh, if I'm not agreeing with it. I mean, you can force me, but <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna go down kicking and screaming
2: that's when I turn to the British baking show and just want to be this escapist kind of, oh, I'm going to turn to food or, you know, eat my feelings and sort of thing because I feel like I can't even eat anything without feeling like I'm doing some sort of damage.
1: Even like when Constantine said, like, uh, watching the British baking show is kind of an escape, I think it is also... Like, I mean, we we, all, we always frame escape as, in, as something negative, right? We, we escape from certain kind of reality. But at the same time, I think it is really important to take care of yourself. As Sylvia said, that you can't change just by shifting your individual choices. But at the same time, making that stance already counts because... Even if in the larger scheme of things, things don't really change, but it is also important to be clear about where you stand and why it is important for you to do this and that. We often use the phrase, we do the best we can, right? This is how it would be translated. Because we stop thinking about what would be useful because that is no longer a really good way to measure what we are doing. But at the same time, take good care of yourself and really try to make do with your situation and live as long as you can to see the kind of changes that may happen in the future.
3: Ah, that's very sweet. I love it. You know, the balance that we're always seeking and it's always elusive. Uh, trying to find a balance between you know, our ideals, our wants, our needs, um, the ways in which we want to intervene in the world and make it better and the ways in which we want to take care of ourselves and our families, right? Um, and I think food is one of those ways in which we try to do that.
1: And a sip of coffee.
3: And a beer from time to time.
4: A lot of coffee. I'm more of wine girl, but a lot of coffee and a lot of wine.
2: A lot of whiskey, actually. <laughs>
4: <laughs> hey, I, I respect it.
2: Whiskey's good. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's so cool. And I'm from Tennessee, so I also love whiskey
4: hi everyone my name is alice mitchell and i'm from the university of virginia thanks for listening now go grab a cup of coffee it's on me
2: hi y'all i'm constantine from new york university let's break some bread and get fed
4: Hi, I'm
3: Sylvia. I'm from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and I am a big fan of the Great
4: British Baking Show.
1: Hi there. My name is Wayne. I'm from Penn State, and I'm also known as the guy who always drinks too much.
4: This podcast episode is supported by the National Humanities Center and the Digital Humanities Center at San Diego State University. A special thanks to Vivian Gornick and Hannibal Bracey for sharing their stories. If you'd like to pull up a seat at our table, please reach out on social media.